have a Bible, I would invite you to turn to the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke, page 724 in the Church Bibles. And in just a moment, I'm going to begin reading from verse 46. Luke chapter 1, verse 46, page 724 in our Church Bibles. Let's hear the word of the Lord, verse 46. If you have an NIV, you see the the title over the song, Mary's Song. Verse 46, and Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. Verse 56, Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word and may God give us understanding of it this morning. Let's pray, please. Our gracious God and and Father, would you please help us now that by your Spirit as we tend to your Word in order that on this Christmas morning, beyond God the voice of a mere man, you will show us ourselves, you will show us your Son in order that we might look away from ourselves and look to Him and love Him and enjoy Him, giving Him the honor which is His due. For Jesus' sake, we ask these things. Amen. Someone asked me recently, uh, what kind of music do I like? And that can always be a dangerous question for a pastor, but I told the person, I pretty much like all kinds of music. Uh, Something I've been doing recently is listening to songs from every genre in every decade, starting around the 1940s until now, and it's actually a lot of fun. However, a few months ago, I had a a major setback as I I completely ruined the uh, wireless earbuds I received as a gift for Christmas last year by leaving them in the pocket of my hoodie and then tossing the hoodie. I thought I was doing a good thing, you know, helping out and all that. I tossed my hoodie in the wash, and so it couldn't be saved. It was terrible. Now, I did put those earbuds, uh, wireless earbuds, on my Christmas list this year hoping someone at home would uh, give me another chance. So we'll see. I've been pretty good. I haven't been great, but pretty good. So I'll need a little bit of mercy. Still, to me, it is a lovely thing to be able to listen to songs and think about them and ponder and wonder and, of course, sing. And I thank God often that I can take walks, long walks, and, and stick in my earbuds, even though they're not wireless right now, but enjoy that privilege. 
above my bed. Some of you know this. My wife stitched together this lovely little embroidery taken from Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17 in the Old Testament. And this is what it says. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. And I can't tell you how glad I am that the God that I serve, that the God of the universe is this way, that the God we serve sings. So it's no surprise at all to me that one, Christmas is known for so many lovely Christmas songs. And two, at Christmas time, I find myself always drawn to the songs in Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, Zechariah's song, and especially, especially Mary's song. God sings. God's people sing. And Mary sings. Now, the technical name of Mary's song is the Magnificent, which is Latin for, My soul magnifies the Lord. The fact then that there are songs in the opening chapter of Luke's gospel explaining the God of Christmas, it makes great sense to me because music has always been a tool for education. That the best of songwriters understand this. They use melody and they use lyric in order to stir minds and excite emotions and get their message across. And of course, God uses this lovely young lady who I have a sneaking suspicion really loved to sing to tell us about himself. And as Mary does this, she's giving the answer to the question which most people, I imagine, have asked. What is God like? What is God like? Now, all of us here have some uh, view of God. And, of course, our view becomes very dangerous when we think that God is exactly like us. Idultery is the word for that. Nevertheless, some people have hunches about what God is like. Some people have dreams, which they say will tell them what God is like. Some people have a feeling, or or they would say they've had some kind of a spiritual experience, which they say will tell them what God is like. So whether one barely cares or one really cares, everyone thinks something about God. And in all honesty, lots of us think different things about what God is like. So when we ask the question, what is God like? How do we know we've got it right? Because when we ask ourselves, what is God like? Our answer is remarkably important, especially if you you frame your life under that answer, your thinking, your planning, your service, whether you determine whether you're going to worship God or not, and especially what you think will happen to you, to us, after we die. So the answer to what is God like is amazingly important. So imagine if you had an experience, an encounter that enabled everything to kind of fall into place so that you weren't guessing, but you honestly knew God and you honestly knew what God is like. And that is exactly what we have from Luke's gospel in Mary's song. And isn't it, isn't it just amazing? Luke tells us in the opening verses, he does this careful investigation And in the early part of his investigation, what do you know that all his research brings us the very first Christmas carol? A song that tells us exactly what God is like. And it's a beautiful song. It's a song which 
I would wager, wager that most people would want to be true if they really thought about it. And of course, it is true. Now, we can't go through all of the song because, we, in all honesty, we need to get home. But this is what we're going to do. We're going to look at the story behind the song first. And you can see this in your worship folder in the back. And then we'll go the message. So, I think it's always kind of neat to discover how songs were written. Right? So, don't you wonder uh, when the Beach Boys sang, uh, Help me, Wanda. Help, help me, Wanda. Don't you wonder who Wanda is? I mean, because she must have been some kind of lady, right? She must be fantastic. She, she helps people. By the way, I did find out the origin of the song. It's terribly disappointing. I just like really upset. But, that's, but I'm not a beach boy, so. If your Bible's open, you can see this in the early part of the first chapter of Luke. Um, Mary was told by the angel Gabriel that she would be with child. So this is the origin of her song. The Holy Spirit would come upon her. And this is not the seed of a man. And after she was told that the child to be born would be the son of God, she immediately heads for her cousin Elizabeth's house. Now, I want you to think with me. I am told that when a lady discovers she's pregnant, that it's almost always a surprise. Almost always a surprise. So, so when the blue line on the blue pregnancy test is blue, it's a surprise for most. But I imagine it would be even more of a surprise when verse 34, you're a virgin, and verse 31, an angel brings you the test result. So what we have here is God breaking into history using ordinary means, the pregnancy of a young woman, through an extraordinary means, a virgin birth, and an extraordinary messenger, the angel Gabriel, telling us so much about Advent is not normal. It's not. Now, if you're familiar with the story, and I imagine most of you are, don't let your familiarity with the story either over-spiritualize it or remove kind of all the practical parts of the story. So I don't know what the biggest shock you've ever received in your life is. Some news that was just like, oh, man. But put yourself in Mary's shoes just for a moment. You're a very young lady. You're betrothed to be married, so you're not married yet. You're supposed to remain a virgin until the wedding day, and you do. And you're a peasant girl, and, and you're from a nowhere place, Nazareth. A town, by the way, which up until this point in, in, the, in the story, in history, uh, never cites this town until now. And she's been told that the baby in her belly is going to be the culmination of Israel's past. And it's going to be the climax of God's rescue for all his people. In other words, the baby's going to tie together all that was anticipated in the Old Testament, all that was prophesied and preached. And now is going to be fulfilled. And Mary, in some sense... In fact, in a very real sense, she's the link to all that. Now, that's amazing. The, the, the baby in her womb is the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything and is the promised savior of the world. Now, if, if you're not letting that familiar scene become too familiar, is it any wonder, verse 39, that she hurries to her much older cousin's Elizabeth's home? It's almost like she's running for some help. Now, Elizabeth, who... I said was very, very old, was, was pregnant as well, so she's got her own stuff going on. But, but Mary clearly needs to talk to someone. Now again, I want you to think, what would you expect to hear from an elderly relative when an unmarried teenager tells them she's pregnant? 
What would you expect to hear? You silly girl. You did it this time. You know, you wait until I get my hands on that guy. How did that happen? Well, of course you know how it happened. But Get out. Get out. But that didn't happen here. Verse 41. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. In other words, here is John the Baptist. Because John the Baptist is in the womb of Elizabeth right now. John the Baptist is already fulfilling his calling and announcing Jesus somewhere near the third trimester of his mother, Elizabeth's pregnancy. I mean, that's amazing, right? You know what song comes to mind? Go, go, Johnny, go, go. Johnny is being good, right? He's being good. He's doing exactly what he was made for to to announce and to point to Jesus. So let's put this all together. You're Mary. In the eyes of most, you're not much. You're a peasant girl, dirty fingernails, and you're Jewish. An angel comes to you and says, you're going to give birth to God's son, Israel's promised Messiah, the world's Savior. She says, I'm a virgin. Angel says, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. Now that's stunning to me. The eternal God is a single cell, Mary, in your fallopian tube. She runs to Elizabeth. And Elizabeth begins to confirm all that Mary knows this far. And you see this around verse 39. And and being filled with the Holy Spirit, Elizabeth is just laying down some robust, hearty blessings on this young lady and on the child in her womb. Now think, what does one do with all that? What does one do with such information and such affirmation and such joy and such privilege and such blessing? Well, Mary sings a song. It's one of the key signs in the New Testament of being filled with the Holy Spirit is that you're going to sing a spiritual song. Most of us, if we're honest, when we're really, really happy, get some good news, most of us will either sing a song or we'll play a song just to kind of create the celebration and enhance it even more. That's what Mary does. That's number one. That's the story behind her song. Secondly, and finally, the song, just two headings. God is mindful, God is mighty. And again, we're not going to go through every verse, just, just a few. God is mindful. That's the first one. Now, if you're a person who keeps in touch with the times in a contemporary society like ours, or, you know, if you just talk with people, whether they're Christian or not, you would know, you would know that so many people right now have so many problems with God, right? He's either letting them down, or he put the wrong person in their life, he put the wrong person in the Oval Office, the weather, social issues, personal issues, God's not fair, how could this happen? It's almost like God cannot get anything right these days. Or, worse, he doesn't really care, or he can't do anything about it. He's just up there. He's taking it easy. He's retired from his responsibilities. But listen to Mary, verse 46b, if your Bible's open. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful. God is mindful of the humble state of his servant. 
Now, the word mindful, translated in the Greek, has the idea of keeping a careful watch over, having been looked on and given grace. Given grace. In other words, Mary is making so much of God by singing about how God, as she begins to put this all together, what is happening now in her past as well, how God has been watching over her the whole time. And at that moment, has given her grace. God who is mighty, verse 49, has done a great thing for me. However, and this is important, Mary isn't just singing about herself. She, she isn't singing only in personal terms, but also in people terms. If you would, please look down to verse 54 of her song. God, he has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. Now, that is huge. Forever, his descendants. God is mindful of Mary as an individual because he's mindful of his people as a whole. Now listen carefully. Her worth lies in the fact that she's part of God's plan to save his people, to to save you and I forever. And if you belong to Jesus Christ, I promise you that it's the same plan. That God has shown us grace in part to save people, if you would, from their sins. That is what God is like. He works through individuals personally to accomplish his purposes communally and nationally and internationally. Now think with me. Do you remember the great promise God gave to Abraham way back in Genesis 12 around verses 2 and 3? This is what God said. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great. Now, If it stopped there, you'd be like, well, great for Abraham, (laughs) happy for you, (laughs) but what about us? It goes on, thank God. You will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. And God does this as Jesus' earthly lineage can be traced back all the way to Abraham. And if you're in Christ this morning, you are in sense a child of Abraham. You can sing verse 46. So Mary sings, God is mindful of all his people. You remember that song uh, Sarah McLaughlin sings, uh, I will remember you. It's a beautiful song. This is what God is saying to Mary. This is what God is saying. I, in fact, we'll put it in the right tense. I remembered you. God gives grace so we can be his people. This is why Anna in the temple, a little bit further along in the story, the Christ child about eight days uh, past his birth is present in the temple. And she, Luke 2, 38 says, she gave thanks to God at the very moment of the child's arrival and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption, to the conversion, to the salvation of Jerusalem. In other words, all of God's people. So this is our Savior. Loved ones, this is what God is like. He is mindful. He's personally involved in humanity. On a personal level, absolutely. But always, ultimately, for communal. All peoples of the earth. 
He makes promises of blessing, fulfillment, and peace. And He acts to help you. And He acts to save you. And He uses you to perform, if you would, and display those same graces so that all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. That's why the worst kind of Christianity is the Christianity that's wrapped up only in itself. And I want you to see that the greatness of God is not revealed by a God who's isolated from us. No. Now, we might feel that way sometimes, that God is far away, but it's untrue. The greatness of God is revealed in His intimacy, His mindfulness of us. Listen to Alistair Begg on this. We tend to think of greatness in terms of isolation. So the more money you get, the longer you can make your driveway. Then you get security fences and guards The more status you acquire, the more you can remove yourself from the great ordinary mass of humanity. People will have to come to you and approach you, and so on. As a Scotsman, I am subject to Queen Elizabeth II, but I've never had a phone call or visit from her. She doesn't know my name. Her greatness is revealed in how isolated she is from me. But God's greatness is revealed in His intimacy with us. He does know our name. He knows about and cares about the responsibilities that weigh heavy on you, the quiet disappointments, the concerns that keep you awake at night. He knows about your hopes, your aspirations, and the moments which make your heart sing. The Creator is mindful of you, and that gives you value. Whatever the world sees when it looks at you, and however you are treated by those around you, God is mindful. So, loved ones, here is what God is like. Here is the God of Christmas and the God of history. He cares about you. And He makes promises to you. And He acts in the person of His Son, Jesus, to help you and to save you. Okay? Save you from what? Well, it's the biggest problem you and I will ever have. It's the story of the Bible. He works to save you from your sin, from our mistreatment of God as God. God is mindful of you. He's mindful. Finally, God is mighty. Verse 49, the mighty one has done great things for me. Verse 51 He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. Okay, so what is God like? Well, God is like a mighty warrior extending his arm. And which is, what's that? An anthropomorphism of God. God is a spirit. He doesn't have a body. So it's just using human language to express God's deed. God extends his arm in strength to accomplish his purposes. This is Isaiah, the strong arm of the Lord. I was, in the, I was at the Y uh, yesterday morning and I just happened to look to the left on the other side there and there was this guy next to this young lady and he was doing one of those in the mirror. And he was, you know, he was flexing his arm in front of, I imagine, his girlfriend. And she seemed impressed and I was impressed because his arm was pretty big. And I told myself, I'm going to use that guy in the story today. And he doesn't even know it. 
And so with God's strength, what he does is he takes the values of this world and he turns them completely upside down. So Mary's song says, God has taken what society and culture and individual men and women long for and what they work for and what they save up for and God just demolishes it. So for example, verse 51, he has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. In other words, God does not allow for us to remain on our perch for long. I mean, if we live within the framework of thinking that everything we have and everything we've done or are doing is only on account of us, that we own and we're not stewards, God will not let that last. Because by nature, we are beguiled by ourselves, aren't we? By nature, we want to impress and we want to appear as people of importance and people of significance. I am, I did, I lived, I bought, I went to, I will, I, I, I. I mean, we might have one of those crazy uncles at our Christmas parties who just won't be quiet about himself. However, Mary says this. Do you know what God does with all that? Verse 51. He scatters that stuff. He demolishes it. John Calvin says of the proud, Their heart is like a puffed up toad. They fancy they are prodigies. They spread their wings wide. So God just demolishes everything we would by nature trust in. So... That it's just Him. It's just Him. God is mighty. He's all we need. This morning at 2.30 in the morning, I woke up. I couldn't go to sleep. So I got up and I was looking through all this stuff. And I got to this part and I wrote this down. God is mighty. We are not. And then I asked myself, think of all the things we can't do except for God's grace. And I just listed a few. I can't eat. I can't sleep. I can't breathe. I can't think. I can't work. I can't write. I can't walk. I can't run. I can't kiss. I can't get out of bed. I can't get into bed. I can't save myself from sin and its punishment. It has to be God. To work this in me. God is mighty. Verse 53. He's filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. In other words, at a meal, hungry person will eat anything. But a rich person, more often than not, will be picky. Mary is saying, we can't come to God and treat him like a waiter because that is how you could get sent away by God. D.L. Moody says it like this, God sends no one away except those who are full of themselves. If you're full of yourself, God will let you go. About a, two weeks ago, I was having a discussion with a lovely young lady who wasn't a Christian and she said to me, the main thing about God is, is he's there when you need him. So I asked her, I said, okay, you're married. She said, yes. I said, how would you feel if your husband treated you like that? How, how would you feel if he only wants you around when he needs you? Well, she didn't like that at all. I don't blame her. So I said, then why 
would you do that to God? Why would you use God only when you need Him? So rough times, sickness, sadness, death, great times, Christmas, vacation, graduations, wedding. Come on, God, come on. Loved ones, if we are not careful, we will come to God with the mindset of the customer. And we've been brought up to believe, haven't we, that the customer is always right. However, Mary sings, verse 53, he feel, fills the needy with good things, but sends the full, the rich, away empty. You see, those who know their depravity, the, the debt of their sin, verse 53 makes a whole lot of sense to them. New York Times uh, Thursday had an article and it was a conversation between uh, Nicholas Kristoff and the pastor, uh, Timothy Keller. The title of the article, Pastor, Am I a Christian? They get to the point in the, in the interview where Mr. Keller says, Christians believe that it is those who admit their weakness and need for a Savior who gets salvation. If access to God is through the grace of Jesus, then anyone can receive eternal life instantly. That is why born-again Christianity will always give hope and spread among the wretched and the needy of the earth. Because God will teach us something through Jesus. He will teach us that we, we see this world completely backwards. He will teach us that the way to be great in God's eyes is to be nothing in the world's eyes. He will teach us that the way to exaltation is through humiliation. That the way to go high is to go low. And he will teach us first and best through his very own son. Who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. He came as the least. And he came for the least. He fills the needy with good things, but he sends the full, the rich, away empty. I mean, isn't it, is it not an amazing thing when most people pursue wealth and its advantages and its promised security? When Jesus said, it is so hard, it is so hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Cannot our pride get us in trouble here? So this Christmas, the humble and the hungry Mary is singing. They're going to get fed. They're going to get fed. A long time ago, Elvis Presley sang a song, of Who Am I That a King would bleed and die for. And that's, that's right. Who am I that God should consider me and send his son to die? Who am I? The prideful. It's me. It's me. I've got my rights and I'm pretty sure I've earned this.
It's an amazing thing. It is the best news we could ever hear in our lives that Jesus Christ in his birth came to save, that he lived a perfection that we could not, that he died a horrible death that we deserved, that he really did die. God did raise him from the dead. And because of that, God offers people forgiveness, his spirit, and eternal life. And it is my hope that sometime this Christmas season, that if you can, you get on your knees and just thank God. Thank God for such a gift that we can never earn. Merry Christmas. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and Father, we, we love you deeply. And we are humbled, Father, by your plan of salvation. That you, God, who needs nothing and needs no one, determined to have mercy on us and spare us from a just wrath from, and bring us into your family. You are good, Father. And we pray for the grace to remain hungry because you fill the hungry with good things and you send the rich away empty. Now may the love of God and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and remain on all who believe, both this morning and evermore. Amen.